0: Hello and welcome to episode two of Gen C. Gen C is generation crypto. These are the people who are raised on a different philosophy on how they look at money, how they look at identity, how they look at privacy, and really how they're reimagining their relationships with the communities and the companies that they interact with. I am Sam Ewan from Coindesk. Our co-host is Avery Akineni from Vayner3. Avery, how you doing?
2: I am great. I'm super excited to be here today for episode number two. It is the day before Thanksgiving, and we have an incredible guest here today in Ricky. Looking forward to hearing what he has to say and to share after his decades of experience at Nike and you know now as CMO at Vista. And of course, he sort of moonlights as this Web3 enthusiast behind the scenes. So really excited to hear his perspective as a collector, as an executive, and as a marketer on what's happening here.
0: Really interested in hearing his approach to sort of the cultural side as well as the innovation. He has played a lot of amazing innovation roles at Nike and at Converse before going to Vista. So I think that's going to be a great conversation. But first, let's just like touch base on what's been going on this week. The first thing I wanted to get your opinion on was we have this sort of interesting conversation in the ether around crypto around Jamie Dimon, the CEO of Chase. You know, he sort of talks about believing that crypto is not a good investment. We found out this week that JP Morgan has registered a cryptocurrency wallet trademark, which makes me think at some point pretty soon, we might see JP Morgan in the sort of crypto business, at least from a custody or a savings perspective. What are your thoughts on the fact that they're potentially coming out with a wallet or just registering the trademark?
2: I have to disclose JP Morgan Chase is a Vayner partner. However, I have no secret information on this whatsoever. So I think the fact that we are seeing institutions like JPMorgan Chase play a role here and invest not just in their metaverse trademarks, not just in their sort of first ever like internal NFTs and decentralized buys, but actually demonstrating real world use cases is really interesting. I think that, you know, this week they had a transaction that was between Chase in the US and Singapore and starting to actually prove these use cases. I know they're working really closely with regulatory bodies to make sure the right eyes are on this and they're going about this in the right way. So I'm incredibly encouraged to see this type of thing happening. And just as, you know, some sort of Hallmark consumer brands lead the way in their respective categories, I think J.P. Morgan Chase is really the gold standard for a lot of how the rest of the world perceives American banking.
0: I don't think anyone is trying to shy away from payments. So we have Cash App, we have PayPal, we have both Visa and MasterCard who are kind of getting deeper and deeper into this. So seeing Chase come in makes me think that, the idea of capturing some of the payment flow of those who are willing to spend utilizing crypto is an area to make fees, right? So I think that's something that's really interesting. And then the thing that sort of pops out to me also, and we're starting to see this happen quite a bit, is companies making their own wallets. So the way we get to sort of mass adoption of Web3 may not be through MetaMask. It might be through the fact that we have all these companies that have their own apps. And so therefore, if you can build a wallet into the app, it feels like it creates more of a kind of easier onboarding.
2: I think you're seeing this already happen in Web3 sort of native use cases. We have companies like Bitsky or CrossMint essentially creating these wallets on behalf of customers. I think we're going to see brands do that to make it easier for customers to use. But ultimately, I think that the ones who are going to be successful need to have a very significant audience and some real ability to draw their communities in to care about actually wanting to get this set up.
0: And I think that brands always love the idea of controlling their ecosystem. So the idea that, you know, we all know that there is quite a bit of spam on the current wallet structures where anyone can see your wallet address and drop, you know, an NFT that might then lead to a place to scam you out of an NFT or some of your cryptocurrency. So I think the idea that a brand can sort of say, we only allow these kind of communications. And then if you want to take your coins or your NFTs off platform, that's on you. But at least they can probably control the in and out a little bit more when it comes to the wallets. On to the next. We're recording this the day before Thanksgiving. This is going to air on Monday after Thanksgiving. But I know that you guys are partly involved with what's going on with Macy's and their Thanksgiving Day Parade. And I thought this was sort of like an interesting and kind of like very cute use case. Macy's is this year going to be having a metaverse play and then also working with a variety of NFT communities. I believe eFriends is one of those. And then the idea is that people get to vote on what sort of next year's hot air balloon will be coming out of the community. Could you like tell us a little bit more about your perspective on it?
2: For sure. I'll say that VFriends has done some really fun work with Macy's, including actually the creation of physical toys, the NFT characters that Gary drew actually exists now as plushies and vinyls, um, which are sold at Toys R Us and Macy's, both in store and on the dot com. So check those out if you need any cool holiday gifts for your kids or collectors. And I love what Macy's is doing right now. They are sort of finding a way to continue evangelizing Web3 for their communities. Some of you all who may have been attuned to this space last year might have seen that Macy's actually dropped 10,000 NFTs for free on Polygon last year with Sweet. And this year they're back for more. And I love that they're actually engaging communities to vote on what's going to turn into a real life balloon. So whether it's the vFriends project or Boss Beauties or some of the other cool projects that are being featured in here. I think it's a really awesome way to bring those communities together to vote on something that they're passionate about and actually turn that into sort of a physical, real-life utility for next year in the Macy's Day Parade, which is clearly iconic. So I agree with you. I think it's a very cute, fun use case in a way for Macy's to continue sort of building upon their presence in the world of Web3 in a way that's non-commercial.
0: And it feels like, you know, if I was Cool Cats and my NFT was selected to become an inflatable for next year, you know, do you reward the community by allowing 15 people to actually hold the tethers to the float as it walks down the street? Like you could actually create something that would be really sort of interesting inside of the parade itself for your community, which just feels like a kind of fun level of utility for anyone who's in the area.
2: Exactly. I would love to see any sort of NFT in the Macy's Day Parade next year, but hopefully on, you know, just sort of a personal bias, I hope that it would be a V friend. that would be awesome to see. But really any of them. It's just such a fun way to bring a little bit of the Web3 culture into an iconic American institution.
0: Amazing. Okay. Our next topic is Coachella and FTX. So we all know what's going on with FTX. There's a lot of challenge. There's a lot of court things happening. Coindesk is getting a lot of attention for kind of breaking the story. The thing that I found really interesting this week was that Coachella sold 10 lifetime passes to be able to go to Coachella. They raised $1.5 million to do so. And right now, most of those passes are stuck on FTX. And my question for you is, I feel like decentralization was supposed to cure this. If we own an NFT and we had a wallet address, we should be able to bring that wherever we go. So what's going on here in your opinion that like nine out of the 10 people from what I've read still can't access their NFTs?
2: I hate that for the people that were affected by this. And I hate how this whole situation has unfolded for people who are invested in and collecting on the FTX ecosystem. There's so many startups and individual retail users who are dramatically impacted by this. And, you know, it's never a fun thing to see. With that said, I think our perspective at Vayner is the long-term game. We will see this element of sort of self-custody being incredibly important for people. And, you know, I think a lot look at what's happened and they say this is a failure of crypto and decentralized finance when the reality is this is actually a failure of centralized finance and a centralized company who's the one who sort of controlled all those assets, which is, of course, FTX. I just published a white paper for my team yesterday, which is called What to Watch in the World of Web3. And it's a sort of enterprise guide designed for marketers. And one of the use cases we talked about was ticketing and how it was an interesting sort of first primary use case to see Coachella and FTX well, Coachella really launched their first ever lifetime passes. We have a big disclaimer that says the now defunct FTX was the provider for that. It doesn't change the fact that that's still a really important use case, but it's unfortunate for those people who actually purchased those lifetime passes. And I hope they get justice through the entire proceedings that are happening now.
0: The good news, I think, is that it's only 10 passes. So it feels like Coachella could figure that out.
2: I'm sure they can make it right.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Right. I think the worry probably is that the funds might still be locked up. All right. So... The final thing this week was, I know we're both friends with Bobby Hundreds. We love Bobby and what they do at the Hundreds. To me, the Hundreds is one of the first brands to truly commit to Web3 and is one that I've been tracking since inception. So let's talk about the Batom Bomb's drop that just happened in the last couple of days.
2: So Batom Bomb is the next iteration of the Atom Bomb Squad NFT collection and I think last summer, Bobby and Ben, his business partner, dropped the Atom Bomb Squad, which they often say is almost two decades in the making. Their sort of iconic Atom Bomb logo in all the different forms and fashions it's existed in across their collections. That was, I think, 25,000 pieces and it sold out immediately. There was a lot of hype and demand and floor prices soaring up into the several ETH at one point. And in the last year plus, they've really established this sort of Web3 native and hundreds OG community done a lot of cool things, whether it's in-person meetups or exclusive merchandise. And this sort of bat and Bomb was the next step in their collection. I think the market conditions between when they launched Atom Bomb Squad and Batom Bomb Squad couldn't be more different from sort of hype of the market to like really this lull in terms of like hype activity. It's really their OG fans and supporters who are the ones who are collecting these now. But I think there was so much innovation. So there are a couple of things that are interesting. One, seeing creators like Bobby and Ben You know, ride along the waves of this cycle is really incredible. And I think goes to show how committed they are to this space. Second, they're doing this hot off of the debate of creator royalties. They shared publicly that they were originally planning to drop this collection on OpenSea. And after the controversy regarding creator royalties, they decided to mint this on their own website and then ended up working with MoonPay. Bobby is an advocate for creator royalties being a critical part of the Web3 ecosystem. And it's a sentiment I really agree with myself. And I think the third interesting part about it is this element that links the two collections together, where if you had owned certain types of bombs, you got certain levels of access, both in terms of how many bottoms you got airdropped and even the royalties. So people who own certain NFTs from the first collection now are able to actually benefit when some of the second collection sells, which is this sort of like next level order of royalties that we haven't really seen implemented before and I think is super interesting. So I was really interested in the bottom-bomb collection. I collected one and they actually airdropped me a second. They did that for all buyers just to sort of give an extra thank you to their supporters. And there's only 5,000 pieces. So it's a little bit more rare and just something that I think was incredibly well executed and done so with this level of utmost transparency that I think is really native to the Web3 ecosystem.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think Bobby and Ben and what the hundreds have done is, to me, so exciting because they were like the first Shopify integration where you could buy merch only by connecting your wallet, which I think a lot of folks are doing these days. If anyone doesn't follow Bobby Hundreds on Twitter, one of the smartest people out there talking about the space, but also so committed to the creator as someone who's been a creator himself and built a brand over multiple decades. So definitely recommend that. I'm super excited. We have an amazing guest. We're going to get to him right after the break. Ricky Engelberg is the CMO of Vista also it used to be called Vista Print, just an amazing company that focuses on small and medium-sized businesses. Their parent company bought 99 Designs, so there's 100,000 creators who are working with them. And I'm just super excited to hear what he has to say about the Web3 industry. And so we'll get right to that after the break.
1: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Join Coindesk's Consensus 2023, where Web3 meets IRL, happening April 26th through 28th in Austin, Texas. Consensus is the industry's only event bringing together all sides of crypto, Web3, and the metaverse. Immerse yourself in all that blockchain technology has to offer marketers, advertisers, brand leaders, creators, builders, founders, entrepreneurs, and more.
0: We are here with Ricky Engelberg, CMO of Vista. I'm just super excited to start this conversation. Ricky, I think one of the things I'm really interested in is one, just hearing like the TLDR about how you got to where you are right now. And then secondly, I think the fact that you're not sort of deep, deep building into this world yet. You guys are sort of really, I think, coming from the perspective of design and small business. And I think that stuff is super interesting for us to talk about. Before we like get into the core of the chat, would just love you know you to give us the kind of who you are and what you're doing here.
1: Yeah, sounds great. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Sam. Thanks, Avery. I've been at this for a bit now, it, the years kind of add up over time. You're like, wow, it's been 20 plus years doing this. Been at Vista now the last three years, based here in Boston. Though we switched to remote first, so I spend most of my day zooming with people around the world, which has been awesome. Before that, like Sam said, it was around 20 years at Nike and Converse. And really, most of that was the intersection point of what digital could be and what marketing would become because of digital and how digital will become this pervasive part of an athlete's life in the broadest sense of the world, athlete. And really, what is the difference between marketing and product? My journey has been like trying to understand how these new technologies will impact the way people connect with customers or how the world will operate and seeing things where you're like, this is a light switch moment. Once this thing happens, gets installed, gets created, there's no going back. No one's going to want to be like, you know what? I had every song in my pocket, and now I really don't want to have that. To the question on the Vista side, we're an interesting place in that we're a 25-year-old company that's trying to make things accessible to millions and millions of small businesses around the world. But you look at the stack of what a small business needs, and not everything is distributed equally the idea of you think back to before the pandemic and the idea of contactless payment and going into a small business and like, oh, do you take Apple Pay? It wasn't going to happen. And now the vast majority of them do. And I think everything feels sometimes to people that are early adopters, late for people adopting. But then you kind of zoom out, you're like, it's been a pretty big revolution for a lot of small businesses in the last 10 years that still some are catching up to. And that's kind of a general feeling from a Web3 standpoint is like, it's a cliche when you see it pop up, or if you're like, "Oh, we're still early," but in the grand scheme of things, it is so early, and then it's still early and digital for most companies.
2: That's amazing. So, Ricky, I have a two parter for you. First, what attracted you to Vista? Like, you'd been at Nike for many years. Clearly, you started working there when you were five or something, huh. and uh, then you decided to go to Vista, and you know that's quite a different environment and also a different sort of marketing department. Second thing I wanted to ask you is. You know, I think when Sam and I were brainstorming who we wanted to invite as some of our first guests, we wanted to pick people who deeply understand the world of business and marketing and also are personally interested and invested in this world of Web3. And I think we'd be hard-pressed to find a CMO who's more personally interested in this than you are. So I'm curious, like, sort of what got you into this space and what piqued your interest about what's happening in this world of Web3?
1: Cool. I'll start with the first one. And I was at Nike for 20 years. The way I was kind of equated is the equivalent of like being born, going to kindergarten, elementary school, middle school, high school, and you're a sophomore in college. That's how long I was there. So it wasn't a blip. And we did things that transformed a world of sport forever. I was reading a book by someone I worked with for a long time, Emotion by Design by Greg Hoffman. And he was reminiscing about the Nike Plus launch where we were sitting there at Chelsea Piers, May 2006. And... It was a whole new language we were about to unleash to the world. This idea of like, oh, you put this puck in your shoe and it will send your run data. And like literally like you're like, these words have never been spoken before. But we have to explain to people why this would make something better. Why this will be better for runners and they'll become indispensable for them. And I remember when we launched FuelBand, I got a call from a journalist asking, so how does it feel to be a leader in wearables? And I'm like, I've never heard this word before. And you play it off like, you're like, oh, yeah, wearable. I was like, wearable? That's a heck of a word. But again, so much of it was about trying to push to create things that make elite things accessible, that help make existing behaviors better, solve unmet needs. And so many of those things were happening at that time in different industries. And we were able to do that from a sports standpoint. So fast forward and to being at this intersection point of sports, digital culture, it was amazing. But I also have a super passion for small business and the power and impact of what small business means. I had a good fortune of traveling a lot when at Nike, but where you would go to different cities and the small businesses are ultimately what defines the city. And a small business isn't just like the cute little store on the corner. Small businesses are the gyms, the restaurants, the places you go to concerts. Small businesses are the amazing streetwear brand that you think is this worldwide empire. and you're Like it's five people just like, packing into the orders themselves and sending them out and trying to figure out how do you get the right stickers. And so when I was in college, I had worked at a college radio station, worked at a few record labels, started my own record label, DC Baltimore 2012 with my college roommate. And that challenge of like, how do we get CDs printed? How do we make artwork? How do we make stickers? All those things, 20 years later, wasn't necessarily that much easier. And so that idea that, and having spent so much time in Portland, Oregon, Portland was small business heaven. When we moved to Boston, that same infrastructure didn't exist in that same way. And that opportunity became a Vista of how do you make small businesses have access to all the things design and marketing-wise that are out of reach for them was what was exciting because if you do that, then the small business down the street where someone's putting their life savings into gets a good logo, gets a great website, has access to the rights A-frame sign to be able to get people into the store. And they make the town a better place. They make the neighborhood a better place. And to me, it's funny, because people ask all the time the difference between Nike and Viston. the actual feeling of like, how do you get a runner to run their first 5K is very similar to how do you get a new small business owner to understand what they actually need to be able to take that leap, to succeed, to be the best they can be. And obviously, it's different selling shoes and selling a logo. But that same feeling of how do you achieve your personal best is something that, really threads those two things together. And so for me, Web3 is something that I've been interested in for a really long time. It's funny, one of my first projects I did at Nike, this is in 2003, was figuring out how to put the real shoes into NBA Live with EA Sports so that Penny Hardaway was playing in foam posits or that you get to unlock with cheat codes burned onto disc, Jordan 11s. And like, it was a labor of love because as someone who loved playing NBA Live and loved sneakers, it bummed me out that they were fake shoes in the game. And it was interesting because the whole premise of it was building off the concept of utility of Web3. If you were a NikeBasketball.com member, our goal was that that copy of NBA Live That you paid $55 for was worth $75 because you're a NikeBasketball.com member because you got that much more value from each month getting exclusive shoe drops that you didn't know what they're going to be, but it was going to continue to build in value. And that was all on disc at the time. And there was no notion of NFTs or any of this. And so bit by bit, those were the things that we continually were doing. How do you make your run into a living digital object that was proof of run, basically, one of my last big projects at Nike was this thing—the connected jersey, where we put NFC chips into all the NBA jerseys, with the ambition being let fans be fanatics, let them check in to tap their phone to the jersey and unlock the check-in to the game to be like, I was there for Kobe eighty-one, I was there when Steph did fill in the blank, and so this idea that you would have a permanent record of your fandom. And at the time, this is like two thousand and sixteen we debated whether or not that whole thing should go onto a Nike blockchain. And there's pros and cons to it. But in the end, this core behavior was at the foundation of like, you tap in and your fandom will get rewarded. And so to me, there was no real Web3 vocabulary around it. It was a lot of things we were trying to do in, on Facebook and Twitter, all these different things. But it was these social communities and digital communities. And in the end, like, I'm a big collector and it just made sense of like, this is where I get super nerdy. I probably have Ten hard drives with every web page I've went to for fifteen years saved to. Like, there's hundreds and hundreds of shoes and jackets and T-shirts and bags. But so the idea of like NFTs are a thing that is micro community being built around this object made complete sense to me. But I also, having spent so much time in digital innovation, realized you can't try to make it make sense until the timing is right. And I think that's one of those things where a lot of companies are rushing in to like drop their first NFT. And it's cool and great. And some have been great success. And clearly, obviously, Avery, you've been a big part of a lot of brand success in the NFT space. But I think ultimately, you almost have a responsibility as a company to not push your customers too fast and too far beyond where is ready at that moment. I think just trying to find that balance between this inevitability of Web3 versus having patience is this constant scales of justice.
2: I love that. And you said so many amazing, insightful things there, Ricky. The inevitability of Web3 is something I think the three of us all agree with. But you're also right that, you know, for a lot of small businesses, like this is not the number one thing on their minds. Very, very, very far from it where we are today. I think from a collector standpoint, the people who I've seen like really understand Web3 and get it and see product market fit immediately is people who collect physical objects right? Like if you collect sneakers or you collect cards or comic books or whatever it is, or handbags, you understand that concept of rarity, of scarcity, of, you know, hunting for the next special item for your collection. And if people who aren't like collectors in that same way, typically it takes them a little bit longer to sort of get there on web three, but collectors are like, yes, I get it. I'm curious about, you mentioned the connected products. This is a hot one, hotly contested. How do you feel about the word fidgetal?
0: You did not say that.
1: I said the p word. Oh, fidgetal. I'm unrepressing countless hours debating this like in the early 2000s connected products to me does a nice job of showing that this is something more. And I go back to the origins of the plus. Like it's weird to see everything plused up at this point when like, when we put the plus on Nike plus we were the first to do it. And there was a lot of debate. And you're like, you know what? It's Nike, but more and enhanced. And to me, That notion of connected products is these are products, but they're connected. There's more to them. I think Fidgetal falls a little bit into the fetch camp and is something that, my apologies to anyone that's a big fan of Fidgetal. It's kind of like on demand. On demand was a video on demand. It was like, oh, it's like video, but I can do it on demand. To me, when trying to onboard people, finding those things that help make that transition bridge that much easier is an important thing. It doesn't mean fidgetal won't be the thing. I just feel like it's asking a lot of people to have to learn something new.
2: It's a little how do you do fellow kids? Exactly. It's like, okay, I want to be cool, but I'm just, I don't get it. But I also have an inbox full of briefs from brands where like, I need a fidgetal thing. I love, you know, the way you frame that as connected products, because yes, there's the possibility for it to be like a physical and digital connection. But there's also more. It doesn't have to be just in this like one little silo. It allows for an expansiveness.
1: To me, that notion of connected product is we're not trying to take your handbag and make it into a transformer. And that notion of what was 55 is now worth 75 because of the connected is probably where more of these things play in space. Like I love Spotify. It's revolutionized the way I consume music. I don't know if it's revolutionized the way music is created. But it's definitely enhanced the way I consume music in so many ways. And I think that's, again, the balancing act of what is enhancing and improving and existing behaviors versus what is a complete and total revolution that words don't describe. And having been part of both of those things, the complete and total revolution one is a much harder jump to land sometimes. When
0: I think back, right, so many of the areas of interest right now in Web3 community, collectibles, you know, sport, move to earn, all of these things are stuff that was sort of pioneered without blockchain first. So I would just love your thoughts on, like, is blockchain something we need or something
1: we want? Um, I think it depends on the use case. I was looking at a music NFT the other day, that had the royalty structure built into the contract. And you look and you're like, I could see why that will be significantly better For everyone involved in that project, if the next Spotify or Apple Music or Napster, to date myself from a streaming revolution, comes in and builds something that truly captures the cultural imagination, and all of a sudden everyone's listening to something that is blockchain based, paying out in real time, I could look at more blocking, tackling things like ad tech. And I'm sure there's a gajillion people trying to crack it, but like, there definitely has to be a better way to do ad tech from a blockchain standpoint than how it currently exists and the complete and total opacity of serving media. But I think people love YouTube. No one talks about the compression. And I think sometimes, like whenever I hear ERC number, number something, like I appreciate the art of that's going on into like writing these contracts, but it sometimes just feels like we are talking about the compression on the YouTube video versus the fact that There's a lot of people that are able to make amazing videos. Then that's where we are in the journey right now. But I go back to the patience piece. Like in 2004, we pitched a rookie NBA player on doing a text message journal after each game. Just send a text message saying, good game tonight. Let's get him next time. And like once a week, how the rookie season was going. And the reaction was, that is such a big ask to ask a professional athlete to send a text message after each game. And you fast forward 10 years, and it's like, here's my walk-in tweet. Here's my photo for Instagram that's going to get posted of me carrying my shoe and all. And so like that generational shift, when it happens, it happens fast. And to me, once the technology gets into the background, the better off everyone will be. And seeing where blockchain makes sense and where it is just a luxury item that's just Tech for tech's
0: sake. I mean, we saw this last week, I believe, was at StockX who basically said they were no longer guaranteeing authenticity on their sneakers, right? So to me, like, it feels like a really native opportunity is not only to think about provenance and to be able to prove ownership, but also I think, again, just going back to like Nike, the idea that someone buys a doodle for, you know, 0.3 ETH and then flips it for 10 ETH later is not out of the realm of possibility for someone who bought Dior Jordans and flips those for 10 times. Like it's the same mindset, right? The same kind of collect and create value. And even if I wore them, there's still value after like all of that. So I do think like there's something really fascinating that's going on in the world of authenticating merch that can be provable from the moment it hits the buyer.
1: I'm a little skeptical on physical goods and authentication through NFTs and blockchain. I know it could work. Of course it can. But the idea of like, hold on, I've now sold you this handbag. Now let me go into my wallet and I'm going to get your wallet address and transfer you over the proof of ownership to it. And we're going to write now to it that I'm tra- I, it feels like a lot of work at this point. Like one of the things I always wish Top Shot had done was be able to, for lack of better words, launder your moment through the athlete. Like the idea of LeBron is who transferred me his moment. And that is permanently on the record when Twitter became a thing. At a friend who got a reply from an athlete, I was like, that's like getting a new autograph at this point. Because it was there on a permanent record that Sean Merriman from the San Diego Chargers replied back to you at this time. And that idea of like, it's a like from a celebrity, like all those things compound over time and become real proof of authentication, proof of happening. I think back to the earlier question of like, fungible loyalty is something that. I could nerd out on forever, because if you're not one of the top 10 brands, it's really tough to build any sort of loyalty program. And all my purchases on the record are something that just has massive opportunity to help brands, but also people find the right things for them in unique, interesting ways. But I think will be it'll be an interesting balancing act to see how we get there.
0: Ricky, let's just turn now to Vista, because I think the fact is, This has been a 25-year-old brand that's built on providing creative services for helping businesses do business better. So you mentioned, you know, you guys work with millions of small businesses. It seems like there are opportunities that may not be showing themselves today, but that will show themselves soon in terms of how blockchain, whether it's through membership, loyalty, NFTs can help these small businesses. So I would love just, you know, your perspective on kind of what are the types of strategies that maybe the small and medium-sized business should be thinking about now and going into the future?
1: You know, I think anyone that was comfortable with Kickstarter probably will be comfortable with different things that are starting to emerge from equity fundraising, the notion of NFTs. You see so many companies coming there making it way more turnkey. You I know, mean, even what Instagram is starting to make happen of being able to mint and feed. If someone was willing to start a Kickstarter, I feel like that's an area that they'll get comfortable with quick. And that idea of this exclusive NFT you get unlocks for you the free coffee. And you're starting to see with restaurants in New York, where just interesting opportunities that are emerging of the benefits of having the NFT, be it through Gary's Place with Flying Fish that will exist at some point. Shout out Fly Fish Club. I feel like I should say SpawnCon as I bought one of them. And (laughs) it's like, it just seemed like a good thing to have. But there's so many others that are starting to, I think Dame is doing one, if not mistaken, where it's just very easy to understand the idea of this membership can get you to table. This membership can get you to free coffee. Again, I think trying to find those creative areas to soft onboard will go a long way for people. I think as it relates to just the heavier lifting, the financing side of things, again, I think some company is going to be the square in this space. I you mean, think about what Square has done over the last decade to revolutionize financing for a small business. and someone will do that in this space and someone will, or a hundred companies will try to do that and one will succeed. And that will make big toothbrush style changes for how small business operates. But again, I don't know if people will even realize it's a web three company so much as it's just an easier way to get access to the capital you need. And then you kind of look across the problem set that so many small businesses have and it's customer acquisition, it's HR, it's staffing, it's real estate. And I think that's just where, again, the patience piece is so important. Anything that had a web two version probably will have a web three version, but if a problem hasn't been solved for a small business in web two, it's tough to guarantee that web three is a solution. And that's why you usually to keep patience. To. It's like, if I'm talking to a small business, get a great insta, get a great logo, get a great website, get a great Instagram handle going, figure out TikTok. All these different things are so important. And to be like, and you need an NFT strategy can be a little tricky. Now, flip side, if you're an artist, if you're a designer on 99 Designs, understanding how this is a new medium for you to be able... So we own 99 Designs by Vista, 100,000 designers around the world. A lot of them are artists. Like How we can help onboard them into this space is something that we care greatly about. But again, I think it's about on the patience side still, making sure that we don't have overly inflated promises that this is going to be your newfound retirement plan so much as it's a way for you to make a living. It's a way to help augment the living you're already making and finding that right balancing act.
2: Yeah. So, Ricky, I love what you had mentioned earlier around that you as Visto want to actually help all these independent creators. And I couldn't agree more that a lot of these artists and designers and also projects like groups of people who work together, they are small businesses as well, whether you're talking about World of Women or... The hundreds, like all of these are actually brands themselves too. Could you imagine a world where Vista is sort of powering Web3 creators for all of their marketing, both sort of digital asset packs and also physical items as well that
1: might sort of accompany it, like maybe a creator platform of sorts? Yeah, I mean, I think it's something that we've spent time on. And I think, again, I look at what Bobby and the hundreds are doing and it's so absolutely impressive. I think our strength is probably more the community management, how do you do merch on demand, scale type side versus the digital minting side, which I don't want to say isn't something. like Digital, we partner with Wix at this point for websites because it's something where, again, we think there's massive opportunity into space, but so many of the communities, the first thing they want is stickers, patches, hats, shirts. Again, there's lots of interesting plays there from token-gated commerce. And so I think when we look at things like are on-demand stores. How do we try to get token gating to be part of them? How do we let this on-demand notion happen? But it's an interesting balancing act because the way I put it is like, again, I don't mean to pour water on this too much, but I'll use it through the lens of band t-shirts. So let's pop in a time machine to nine months ago. Every NFT floor is through to roof. Like it was a golden era. So everyone thinks they've had a 10,000 person community that's thriving, or maybe it's a 4,000 person community where people have two and a half each or whatever the case may be. But how many of those communities you're a part of are you, your favorite band that you're willing to spend 80 bucks on the hoodie for? Because the odds of you buying 25 hoodies from 25 different bands isn't massive. It doesn't mean you don't like them. doesn't mean you don't love listening to them. But I think that's one of the things that's been an interesting balancing act for a lot of NFT projects is the roadmap that's like, we're going to make a game. We're going to do a merch store. These 10,000 people are going to buy all the merch. And in the end, merch is, it adds up. For us, Vista, we thrive on scale in trying to find the areas where we can help millions of customers get access to things. I was playing with a new product today of fun wrapping paper. Like if every NFT community wanted to go make fun wrapping paper to send a gift to all of the people in their community, we've got it for them. Again, I go back to so much of Web3 is about community management and brand management. And how do you find, I mean, the whole win roadmap conversation is very similar in nature to like, when we were doing things like Nike plus running or the fuel band, where it'd be like the first thousand people who bought the product, what their needs were, were very different than how we were going to get to 2 million or 3 million users and how to find that balance of the most passionate first 5,000 people versus the scale. And I think that for Vista, we're a company that operates under scale and platforms to serve up to people. And so we're excited to partner with anyone. But again, I think that challenge of just having the merch store doesn't guarantee that the merch will move for any project is a constant balancing act.
0: Let me ask you this Ricky. When I think of the local coffee shop in Brooklyn, they probably have a two or 3,000 person community who's going there. The same with a popular restaurant. So I guess what I wonder is the opportunity to say for, maybe it's not a 10,000 or 5,000, but for the 500 people who are really loyal to say, hey, you get, you know, the t-shirt, you get invited to the private music performance we do in store once a month. And thinking about that layer that maybe allows for the collectible to be part of the business experience
1: feels like, and maybe we don't need blockchain for it. Like maybe that's the reality. My Barnes and Noble membership again, bad example because it's Barnes and Noble, but like I've cut it out of my life. But like I used to go and buy like thirty to forty magazines a month, and one day you walk up to the counter, be like, I've got twenty magazines, and Barnes and Noble be like, Hey, you really should buy the member card because you literally would save sixty five dollars today. If you give us $20, you're like, you know what? That math makes sense. I will do that right now. And again, I go back to like the technology will be invisible. I think people like Proof have done such a nice job of trying to make it as easy as show your QR code and it, magic happens from there. So again, I think all those possibilities are there. It's again, about level setting the expectation. You've got a thousand people in your member program as a coffee shop. That is a great way to drive success in your neighborhood, at your three locations, so on and so forth. I think the challenge is, is that NFT got so caught up in the hype of how much money you can make off of the NFTs and resale. And obviously, the royalties make a tremendous amount of sense from an artist standpoint. But it'd be difficult to say, like, oh, to a coffee shop, oh, and the beauty is you can set a royalty rate. And every time someone sells the membership, you get 7.5% of it. You're like, huh? But like you've seen interesting things like Bodega has done very interesting things with their NFT membership program. again. It is a great digital tool for community, but like there's only so many NFT projects I'm going to buy merch from and the same way there's only so many bands I'm going to buy the t-shirt from or like the poster for or whatever the case may be. So I think so much of it is level setting the right expectations and having patience. And I go back to the fungible loyalty piece. Like if a coffee shop could one day say, we want to offer a dollar off to everyone that's a member of this gym, They should not have to talk to the gym about that if there's fungible loyalty. Every small business that gets community will be great at Web3. If you don't get community, Web3 is not going to magically solve that for you.
2: I couldn't agree more. So Ricky, um, Vista is actually showing up, helping some sort of Web3 creators and communities and doing some cool stuff. What attracts you to Art Basel and what are you most excited for about next week?
1: You know, so we're going to be working with Kids of Immigrants there, a group out of LA that we've done a lot with that just is a great designer base out of LA that so much of us helping small businesses have access to things like ComplexCon, like Art Basel, that might not have access otherwise, and helping them connect into community and open our relationships to them. We host things like owners-only owners dinners throughout the U.S. every month. We've hosted them at things like Jazz Fest in New Orleans and Dreamville in North Carolina. And so we're taking that same model into Art Basel and connecting with small business owners there, connecting kids of immigrants out of LA into the Miami community. And really, this is our second year at Art Basel. And so much of it is just connecting with the community we work with throughout the year and, again, helping them understand what we could do for them from a design, digital, and print standpoint and helping connect them together for interesting projects. And I think so much of being part of a community is being a part of the community. And we try to be part of the community as frequently as he can. And that's what we do in Art Puzzle. Ricky,
0: thank you so much for spending so much time with us. We know you're a busy guy.
1: Avery, Sam, thanks so much for having me and excited to be part of it and look forward to seeing you all in the very near future and happy Thanksgiving to you all. Sounds great. Thanks, Ricky. Mm
0: -hmm. So Avery, that was an amazing conversation with Ricky. I know we could talk to him for hours.
2: We love the Ricky.
0: (laughs) We definitely love the Ricky and his perspective on things. For me, what stood out actually most was when he was talking about the fuel band. Because I remember putting that fuel band on my wrist when I first got it, and you felt like you were in a club, right? And not only like were you in this club that when you saw someone else have it, you could identify it was digital, it was cool, it felt kind of futuristic, but also the fact that like it measured points, right? And so therefore, it was like it was measuring your energy, which is something we're seeing happen right now. Like For me, the idea of that fuel band is the same as probably people who bought into the Board Ape Yacht Club, right? They felt like they were part of something. And that just stood out to me.
2: I love what he said around the inevitability of Web3, which is, you know, hearing a CMO who has this incredible tenure and sees so many sides of a business, you know, have that sort of feeling that this is inevitable was something that really resonated with me. And it makes me excited and hopeful for the future. But I think Ricky also rounds this out with a really heavy dose of practicality. Which I think many listeners will appreciate because let's be real, like, you know, for every coffee shop around the corner, like Web3 isn't their number one or only priority. They have other things. They need to get their website. They need their social up. But just understanding that this is an inevitability, I do think helps marketers sort of prioritize how they should be thinking and even, you know, having a CMO who's so interested in this personally and has been thinking about things like blockchain and connected products since 2016. He still thinks that patience matters. I guess that's my key takeaway is it's inevitable, but be patient.
0: All right, guys, we're going to wrap up. It was so great to talk to you, Avery. Have an amazing Thanksgiving. I know this will air after Thanksgiving, but still have a great one. And we'll see you next week.
2: Awesome. Thank you so much. Take care, everybody.